I must say that the first and second Peter is a tremendous blessing to my own soul as uh, we are studying it. You know, there are special characteristics about the second epistles in the Bible, in the New Testament. For instance, Second Corinthians was written because some people in the church, in that church, attacked Paul's apostolic authority. Second Thessalonians was uh, written because someone had written to them who knew the Bible well but was a false teacher and he confused and he troubled the church very much. And his letter was a forgery. Second John was written for the same reason. There were, there were false teachers which already had entered the early Christian church. And so the apostle warns very strongly for this uh, false teachers. Says, for instance, in Second uh, John 10, if there comes any unto you bringing not this doctrine, namely that Jesus came into the flesh, that means that he was and is the eternal Son of God coming into the flesh, that you don't receive him into your home, neither bid him God's speed. This is very strong language. This would take care of all the people which come to our door, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Christian science people, or unity, and many more. We shouldn't receive them. We shouldn't, neither should we give them God's speed. This is very strong language and very clear. And we are very thankful for the word of God, which makes it so clear for our days. Then Second Timothy was written because those Asian churches, on one side they had not given up. Uh, they didn't cease to call themselves Christian but they had turned away from the doctrine of grace. They brought in that salvation is obtainable by grace, including works. This was false teaching, and now we are dealing with Second Peter, and we have the very same emphasis here. Peter speaks about the danger which the church of Jesus Christ is facing, never before was his and all the other epistles speaking about false teaching more relevant than in our time. You know, uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples to warn them for false teaching and especially the 24th chapter of Matthew, if you just would turn with me to a few certain words in this chapter, Matthew 24, speaking about the last days. The key word of this chapter is deceive. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks in verse 4, and Jesus answers and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Underline deceive. Go to the next verse. 
For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive how many? Very many people. Many people. And Peter, as we will see in a few minutes, speaks about the same things. That many are following those false teachers. In verse uh, 24 now, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall receive the very elect. And in verse 11, going back a little bit, in uh, Matthew 24, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Underline deceive. This is very important. This is the situation we are in today in Christianity, in Christendom. And now let us turn to our text, which is Second Peter, uh, the second chapter. We just will read the first nine verses together. This is our study for today. Second Peter, the second chapter, and we read from one to nine together. But there, let us read together, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with faint words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, by, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemns them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deed. The Lord knows how delivers the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now we commit this hour into thy loving care. Lord, we pray that you may move mightily among us in power and strength of the Holy Spirit, that this wonderful, great uh, message may, and which is so serious, speak to our heart. If anyone is here in this very hour, that his heart might be open to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The saving power of his blood may be applied. O oh, Father, we pray that thou may bless thy word in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.
The key verse of uh, this lesson, I would suggest, is nine. That the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgments to be punished. Let me give you an outline first this morning. The first three verses uh, deal with the position of the false teacher. Firstly, in verse 1, before the Lord, their position before the Lord. In verse 2 to 3, their position before the people. In verses 4 to 9, we have the, uh, the second division of our lesson. We have the perdition of the false teachers, as it is illustrated in verse 4, in the, uh, the evil angels, illustrated in verse 5, the destruction of the old world, and illustrated in 6 to 9, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. How can we ever recognize false teachers, false teaching? The only standard is the word of God. How thankful we are for the word of God. If we wouldn't have the word of God, then we would be lost completely. No one would know what is right or what is wrong. Then everybody would be right. There would be utter confusion in this world. But a standard is given to us, which is the living word of God, the only living thing in this dying world. The only thing which ever will judge us is the word of God not the commandments of any church, nor the teaching of any church, but only the word of God which lives. There's Hebrew 4.12, which says the God's word lives and is active, and it cuts better than any two-edged sword. It pierces till it divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it can judge thought and purposes of the heart. This was my own experience when I come from a church which claimed to be the only saving church. When I discovered, and this was a great discovery, that salvation is not in any church but in a person. And this person is the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. That church had another false teaching and it claimed that we become children of God by baptism. The word of God tells us that we are children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, without works. Here again, the word of God is the judge. They claim, too, that the church is the only authority to interpret the word of God. Is this what the word of God tells us? No, the word of God tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Again, the word of God is the judge. And with the word of God, we can see what is wrong, 
what is right. And when it came then to a confrontation between the church and myself, I rather would follow the word of God and leave that church because I loved Jesus more than anything else. His word is truth and his word is light. In those days there was a wonderful verse which helped me so much, which was Psalm 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In this time in which we are living, which is a time of apostasy and falling away, and false teaching is going on in many churches, there should be but one cry, back to the Bible. And if we are not well grounded in the word of God, we might be deceived. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 24 about the last days. He uses word again and again about the false teachers, the false Christ, the false prophets. They will deceive many deceive and then the word of God tells us here in our lesson this morning that there were false teachers all the time even in the Old Testament among God's people and mark among God's people among the people this is not the world if the word of God speaks about falling away it speaks about the people of God which have some kind of a mark of Christianity, you can't fall away from something which you didn't have before. And it is the church. It is Christianity, it is Christendom in this world where we see within its ranks the falling away. We had in the Old Testament, in old times, those false prophets, those false teachers, we have them now as never before. They will bring in damnable heresies. And let's see in his first verse, it says here, who privately, that means who secretly, who sneak into the church, that is how they work. They don't get up of a sudden and throw one Bible doctrine out of the window and declare at that moment that they bring in a different teaching. That is not the way they work. They sneak in the church, into the church. They know the scripture very well. They come from fundamental Bible colleges and Bible schools. And then slowly, very slowly, they deceive the people. And all those which are not well grounded in the word of God, they will turn away. And they will follow those false teachers. The people don't recognize it by and large. This is a tremendous danger. When I today get back to my church, my old church, I see how far it is away and has fallen away from grace. They had special meetings there some weeks ago and I went over there. And I couldn't believe it. This was supposed to be evangelistic meetings 
What a nonsense came from the pulpit. And the people didn't realize it. This wasn't a thing which had happened in that church from the day to tomorrow. This is now a process which is going on over the years. Many years. And by and large the people don't realize how far they have been led astray. Oh, if ever there is a time to be on a watch, then it is today. How much time do we really spend in the Word of God in these days? There was never a greater need for studying the Word of God than today. Oh, listen, there are some good things in this world still, and I'm thankful for it. But you know, I don't read good books even. I don't even look at good uh, uh, television uh, programs. You know why? I have something better to do. I'm a terribly busy man. But if I can spend a minute and spare a minute, I rather would spend it in the Bible. I would spend it on my knees in prayer. Jesus speaks in Matthew 13 and brings the parable of the tares and the wheat. They are the tares and the wheat, they are so much alike. This is a picture of Christendom. This is a picture of Christianity, that believers and unbelievers are joined together in Christian churches. And only for one who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and who lives in the living word of God, for such a one it might be possible to recognize a false teacher or an unbeliever. And even so, in some cases, it might be impossible. We have to leave it with the Lord until the day of the harvest. This is a message of the parable of the uh, tares in the wheat, that we have to leave it with the Lord. There are many people which know the language of Canaan and which are using it, and yet they never have given their heart to Jesus Christ. And here comes in, and this might give us some difficulty, when we read verse 1, where it says that they will bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that hath bought them. This might give us some difficulty. We might think, as we just read through, that those people mentioned here were saved, that they were bought. I don't think so, that those people were ever saved, nor are they saved. This verse does not suggest that finally all people will be saved or that those false teachers are saved. Salvation is a universal thing. When we compare this with many other scriptures, like First uh, Timothy 4.10, where it says, it speaks about the Savior of all men, that is Jesus Christ. Or think of John the Baptist, uh, speaking to the people on the banks of the Jordan River when he sees Jesus coming, Behold the Lamb of God 
which takes away the sin of the world. Does this mean that all people are automatically saved? No. Salvation is universal, but only those which receive him are the saved ones. For as many as received him, to them gave he the privilege, the power to become children of God. First two, many shall follow. Many will, uh, shall follow their pernicious ways. This is their position before the people. And how true that is. We could, I, I think each one of us, we could bring up many and tell many stories how many people are deceived and are turned away. And the remnant, those which are staying faithful, is only a minority. This is the teaching of the Word of God. And this is so clear, expressed in the Word of God. It says, and through covetousness, in verse 3, shall they with faint words, this means false and fake words, make merchandise of you. That means they will handle you as someone handles merchandise to his own pleasure and convenience in a store. That is what they do. They are very proud men. And you, the only happiness they get if they get a following. They are the leader and they get more and more people following them. That's the greatest pleasure they have. And they're handling you, taking you away from the precious word of God. And they will teach you things which in return you will go out and bring to the world, to others. Well, our time goes on. Let's uh, go into the second division, I think, there is where we should spend the most time. The perdition of the false teachers, as it is illustrated in verse 4, firstly, about, uh, where it speaks about the evil angels, simply bringing in this message here that the false teachers and their followers, they will not get away from judgment, nor will they escape judgment, for the angels will not get away. They are reserved for that judgment day. In verse 5, he brings in the illustration of the old world, the world before Noah. They, this world did not escape, and it was only Noah with seven other persons who were, which were saved through the flood. Our present world, and this Peter makes so clear, will, will uh, be judged, but this time it will be with fire. In chapter 3, 10 to 14, it makes it uh, so clear It speaks about this judgment day of the Lord and it is such a tremendous uh, thing for us to see 
that once the world was destroyed by the flood and by water, that the second time it will be destroyed by fire. Where it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought he to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that he look for such things, be diligent that he may be found in him of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And in verse 7 too it speaks about uh, the judgment, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So the verdict over this world is spoken out by the very word of God. This time the whole thing will burn up in fire. In verse 6, we, the word of God brings in, brings in the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and this is this, uh, the story which excites me most. Because I had some experience which I never will forget. This was the day when our city burned up, when fire came from heaven, so to speak, and our fire and our city went up in fire. Never forget those when I escaped this inferno and was looking back from the hill, hills surrounding our city and looking back to our burning hometown, I couldn't help but think of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, in uh, the story when we read it in Genesis, where Abraham looks to Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, and the smoke of the country went up as the smoke from a furnace. And this is a picture I saw, our burning city, all the fire, fires of the city joined together in one big funnel and going like this. The smoke like from a furnace. And how thankful today I am that the Lord has saved my physical life in this terrible 20 minutes because I was not ready to die. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to meet my God at that time. And he was merciful. And he saved my life and brought me out of this inferno that at one later time I might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and give my heart to him. My brother didn't go get out and eight people which during this bombing came into our city 
uh, into our uh, shelter downstairs. I don't know who they were. But the Lord saved me and they saved my father and, they saved my, and he saved my mother. Although I had cursed him, remember when this, when I was sitting on the rooftop and watching the skies, knowing that something, something is going to happen. This isn't this funny, you know. I don't know why I was there. I don't know why, what had happened. But that morning, we felt that something was coming. People feel it today, that judgment is coming. And it bothers them very much. And to do everything possible to dull that feeling and to get away from it. But that morning that was November 16, 1944, we felt that something is going to happen. The front was very close by and the artillery was shooting for weeks already into, the, uh, into our town. About 25,000 from about 50,000 uh, uh, population uh, people were already away. They were evacuated and there were only about 25,000 people left in the city, constantly living in the shelters which we ourselves have built out. We did our cooking there. We did everything. We had a strong shelter built, built deep uh, in the ground, under our cellar, uh, even with steel doors, with an emergency exit, which got out about 75 feet away in our garden. This was our shelter, a very small place, but very, very strong, with walls like this. And the whole thing collapsed, our whole house, but this shelter held. But, uh, and then, when I was sitting on the rooftop, knowing that something is going to happen, my father was downstairs and he was fixing the bicycles. That day we wanted to get out. We didn't want to get out in the first place. We said it's no good to get away because we have to get the front let roll over us. The war is, is finished. The war is lost for Germany. And it's better, the sooner the better we get to the other side. So we wanted to stay, but that day we felt something is going to happen. As people feel it today, that the judge, day of judgment is coming. And here we were preparing for it, and I was watching the skies. And of a sudden I see them coming. Later, after the war, we have read in some reports, there were 12,000 flying fortresses, guarded by 700 uh, fighter planes. Unbelievable. And I saw them coming at a very low altitude. I, as far as I could see, the first ones very big, very low, and as far as I could see, wave after wave of airplanes. And when the first one throws the smoke sign, I knew this was for our city. And I ran downstairs and I said, Mama, Daddy, down, that's for us. And then the fire came, they finished our city with bombs and with fire. This is a terrible thing. Have you ever looked into burning phosphor? Today they call it napalm. It is a terrible, frightening thing. You never see such glaring fire as burning phosphor coming down towards you. And then we went through this inferno. Why do I tell this? Because that moment, and this 20 minutes we went through, I lost my faith in God. Now that's the first moment. The first moment when this started, I cursed God. Why does he do this to us? Do we deserve this? I was shaking my fists against heaven. And then my mother was praying like the Catholics do, one holy Mary after the other, you know, with a loud voice. 
And then I came to the decision. I said, there's no God. There's no God. It's no use to curse him. It's no use to shake the fist against heaven. There's no God whatsoever. How can he allow a thing like that? And something in me broke. And that was it. I ran over to my mother and held my hand over her, her mouth and said, Mother, shut up. There is no God whatsoever. But the Lord brought us out. And when I didn't know who got out, I didn't know anything about my mother or my brother or my father. Everyone just being out of our minds getting out and running in different directions away from this inferno. It was just before Christmas that I found my parents in some other villages surrounding our city. But then the Lord dealt with me. It was a terrible time. After the war, the Americans brought us back, these young people they could get hold of. They put us into groups and we had to bury the dead. This war, they were now by the thousands laying many in the open and it got warm. It was April, May, the following year. I won't describe it. I won't do that. But you know, when the judgments of God go over this earth, it will take many, many months to bury the dead. But this is some job, I tell you. We didn't eat much. The only thing we did, we, the Americans, they gave us a half bottle of whiskey, which we would drink poor. This wouldn't make you drunk. It would act as a medicine. It would give you the strength to do the job. The judgments of God are coming, and how thankful I am today that I'm escaped, that the Lord had his hand upon me and brought me out, that he, he was so merciful Although I had sh shook my, my fist against him. Oh, dear one. I mean, uh, let us look up to him. And if we haven't received him into our hearts, that we receive him. For he says, whosoever believes in me shall not come into judgment. But he has turned from, from death unto life. From darkness into light. And after the war, when I got involved in the Communist Party and in all the shouting and the demonstrations, I was a frightened and frustrated young man. Somehow I knew there must be a God. You were wrong, but how did he, why did he allow it? And at one point I started to read the Bible. And then when I read the first pages of the Bible, of a sudden I, can see, I, I see that I can't blame God for what was going on on this earth. That from the very moment where Cain slew his brother Abel, from that very moment on the history of man is the history of bloodshed and war. And it's going on right now. And people don't care. They just let the fire fall. They have them in front of the machine guns and they gun them down. Not caring to see the, 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 the terrible pain and frustration in the eyes of the people. They don't care. They shoot them. What is in man? What is in man? But the Lord will speak the last word. 
I say that to many, many people. Don't worry, the Lord will speak the last word. I was flying to Cincinnati on Thursday, and uh, there was a civil rights leader sitting next to me. And I witnessed to him, but he had a different philosophy. And I told him later, I said, don't you see, all what you tell me is very good. And all this philosophy, it tries to reach people from the outside to change their heart. It never will work. And I told him my story that one day I was so full of hate against Americans because they had, uh, they, they killed our city, they killed 25,000 people, our small town, in 20 minutes. They finished it. 99% of the population. Or should I tell you the story of Dresden? Dresden died the same way. There were thousands of refugees coming from the east that the houses couldn't take them anymore. It is true, they were camping on the streets because they would go into houses and would cook their meals and then they had no sleeping facilities. The houses, the rooms were full. They were camping on the street, thousands of them. And then they came and finished the city. 160,000 people died in half an hour. Thousands of thousands of flying fortresses. They finished the city. But when I gave my heart one day to the Lord Jesus, He gave me a new heart. I saw that we are all in the same boat. All have sinned. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. We can't reach the glory of God. We are on the same boat. We are sinners. The Germans have done great war crimes. The Americans have done great war crimes. War is a very unrighteous thing. We are all in the same boat. And then I see it that the love of God is spread upon us evenly. For God so loves the world. Not especially the Germans or the English or the Americans. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the thing which worked in my life. When I gave my heart to Jesus, he gave me a new heart which now was capable to love. This is the heart of Jesus and this is so wonderful and this is so great. And the word of God reminds us that the judgments of God are coming. Are we ready to face it? Are we on the side where we are safe? This is the question. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He will speak the last word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we spend in thy words this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. O oh, Father, that unto this very day and this very moment that the door is open and that the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, as many as received him, to them give his power and the privilege to become children of God. O oh, Father, we thank you that the door is still open, but that the judgment is coming. O oh, Father, give us a the right vision of this day that we might bear this witness for Jesus telling others about this possibility to get right with God 
to get saved. Oh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.